You're listening to Monster Riff Presents with your host, Monster Riff editor, Pat Schober. And now, here's Pat. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Monster Riff Presents. As always, I'm your host, Pat Schober, and with me today is special guest, Joop Conrad. He is a journalist. He is a founder of the Stoner Hive and a longtime contributor of our lovely Doom Charts. Uh, Yolk, uh, welcome to the show. Great to have me, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great to have you here. We've been trying to, to line this up for quite some time now, so I'm glad to finally be in front of each other here. Yeah, I messed, uh, messed up one date and then a holiday uh, popped up. So uh, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely no problem. Uh, we're here, we're having a good time. So I'm, I'm just glad that, that we're able to connect. Um, I'm really excited to dig into some of the history of Stoner Hive and really dig into our beloved Doom Charts. But before we get into that, I want to I talk a little bit more about, about you as a person. What, what is your background in music and how did you come to love you know, stoner rock and doom, which aren't genres that many people, you know, fall in love with. As a music lover, I um, I was quickly introduced to off-center pop and off-center rock by my uh, my older brother. So when I was just a little little kid, I then quickly was introduced to more metalish kind of rock uh, when I was still a little kid, and his older brother introduced me to more new wave and punk and that sort of stuff. So I got a broad broad collection of daily cons- consumption of uh, all sorts of music when I was a little kid and I still love all sorts of music and I still listen to all sorts of music but my true love for the the, the heavy rock I mean I was already in love with uh, Fate No More and Metallica and all that stuff early on but um, the stoner and the doom came when um, I saw Queens of the Stone Age on the Werchter Festival in Belgium uh, when they had just released their first album. I saw them in a little tent. can vividly remember certain images, but not everything. But it awed me. It was it was something new for me. Would that have been like their self-titled album? or that I think they originally did a split with, with Kaya, so that was their first full album. Yeah, no, I think it was their, uh, their self-titled first album back around 98 or 99. Mm-hmm. Um, I was already immediately hooked on what they brought to the table. Uh, at the same time, my love for another band started called uh, the, the band called Madrugada from uh, Norway, which is a definitely di- totally different kind of rock. Then, of course, three years later, uh, that love for both bands uh, was cemented by their gig at Werther Festival again in Belgium, when they played uh, songs for the deaf in full mm. with Mark Lanigan as well as uh, yeah. Dave Grohl on drums. Prior to that gig, the, the band that played before that was Madrugada, the, the other love of mine. It was 2002 and that was when um, my love for Stoner Rock definitely was uh, chiseled it's, in there. Yeah, hammered in the place, you know, chiseled out, yeah. Exactly. Um, what, was it, what was it like seeing Queens uh, for the first time on stage? Well, that first time was, was just awe-inspiring. I'm, I'm sure I had um, perhaps a bit too much to drink. Otherwise, I would have remembered more from that little gig they did. I remember it was extremely sweaty and extremely crowded, but that the crowd were all... Um, um, how much energy they had. It was all positive energy, even though it was extremely wild. 
Mm. So it, it didn't just awe me. You you could feel that the energy in the crowd were, was all like, whoa, this this is something new. This is something amazing. They they've managed to make something uh, which sounds so low, so uplifting, mm -hmm. and so high energy. And that was that was back in '98 or '99. And then when they came on with the, the the song for the Dev album at the at the festival, the two years later or three years later, it was just well everybody on the main stage before the main stage just was per, at first everybody was looking like is that Dave Grohl is that Dave Grohl <laughs> and when they realized yeah it is Dave Grohl and it is Mark Lanigan yeah. everybody was just uh, wowed yeah. There are a few, a few different. I, I just think it's so funny that like you know Dave Grohl was probably the biggest person on that band at that time, and he was yeah. pushed pushed all the way into the background on that. Um, yeah. But there, you're right that there there was something so special about that that first record uh, that they especially, mm -hmm. and I think they I think they fine tuned a lot of it for songs for the deaf. But that 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 self titled release, you're right. It was like um, it was kind of like what what Nirvana did for like heavier music too. It was. Uh, there, were, there was so much melody in the original Queens of the Stone Age, but you're right. It was all just like a super, super heavy fuzz. And for like, for me, when I was a kid and I heard it for the first time, it would give me a headache because uh, <laughs> it was like, it was so heavy. And so like, it was so aggressive, but I had to keep going back to it because I, I found myself like humming all of the songs over and over again throughout the day. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to get sick again. Let's go back and listen to the Queens. <laughs> Yeah, I can, can definitely feel you there. Uh, it's still it's still a record I I go up go back to whenever the the sun starts shining again in spring and summertime. Um, I always grab grab back to that record to, to at least listen it while while I'm on the road driving somewhere. Or yeah, it's, it's still still a wonderful piece of work, and uh, everybody should uh, acknowledge also, of course, that Songs for the Deaf belongs to the to the the top hundred of albums that all yeah. released ever. I mean, the way they've crafted that one is just uh, stunning. Yeah, it's such it's such an important record too for our space. I think because it's such a it's an easy access point to get into like the heavier stuff of like Stoner yeah. and Tomb too. Because there's so I mean like how many of songs on that record ended up on the radio? Uh, exactly. And yeah. um, I think like from that like so many people can get into Caius and all of the other you know side projects as well. So yeah. plus plus of course after that record. The, the scene exploded yeah. you had you had bands that went off more into the the pop the pop uh, area of stoner uh, but you also had the more heavy bands and uh, for me personally i think that that was the time when it really really immediately kicked off mm -hmm. so this this all kind of brings us uh, if i'm if i'm tracking everything correctly to around 2002 2003 maybe 2004 how did we how did you get to the stoner hive and how did how did that finally start well i was uh, studying uh, journalism back then and um, uh, there was a um, there's a national website called uh, 2 for 12 which had uh, local uh, local sub pages and the university the city where the university was at had a local sub page sub, sub page and i started writing for that back immediately when I started college or uh, university, which was my first introduction to music journalism. Um, one of my first interviews was immediately with another hero of mine called uh, James Labrie from Dream Theater. Mm -hmm. So um, it, I was immediately hooked on writing about music as well. Then, of course, 
Gunther, uh, Dr. 420, had founded the, the Stoner Hive room. And I started getting more invested in that as well. And when the time came to uh, count down the best records, which we sort of did in the room, I said, well, we should have a proper page to do that on. And that's when I started the, the Stoner Hive blog uh, back in 2009, just to be able to count down the records. But because I had also started a Dutch language blog a few years earlier called uh, Musical Mojo, I decided to keep doing that in English for just the heavy music uh, as well on Stoner Hive. So it quickly evolved to a bit more than just counting down the records at the end of the year. Yeah, because yeah, now, now you're doing a, a lot of reviews and, and different types of content, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, it's mostly still just the... Uh, reviewing uh, favorite albums and reviewing albums by um, very small bands who who send an, an email to me and um, and ask to get reviewed. And if I listen and I like it, then uh, especially the small bands, I tend to uh, tend to write something uh, about them. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. Um... We don't do much news. I've got a few interviews online as well with a uh, with a few bands. Uh, but um, I don't do the news and I don't do the don't do tour uh, announcements and that sort of stuff. No. Yeah, there's there's so there's so much to keep up with. Um, exactly. And like I I might even to like, just do like Monster Riff, I might be able to keep up with like five percent of the submissions that come in. And it's just uh, there's and I, I I imagine you're probably getting even more press releases and submissions than than I am over here. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure about that, but the week I was on holiday when I came back, I had almost 500 emails. So uh, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's insane the amount of music that gets released yeah. uh, on a weekly basis. Yeah, it's um, that that's what like drives me nuts when when people like talk shit on on like the rock genre or like the metal genre and be like, oh, it's a dying breed. It's not nothing's coming out anymore. And then it's like you look around and it's just like new music coming out of the walls. It's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's, well, everything is turning into a more of a niche market. So mm -hmm. the heavy rock that we listen to will almost never make it to the pop charts. And the pop charts is dom are dominated by uh, dance beats and, and hip hop at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, that's why people think rock is a dying genre. But the niche market is so huge and every niche is still flowering and growing. That well, you can get your industrial black metal blogs uh, that write about nothing but industrial black metal, mm -hmm. and they still have ten great releases per month. If it if that tickles your fancy, um, and if you like uh, jazz fusion psychedelic hip hop, you can find blogs about that as well. It's insane the amount, and it's insane the the, the quantity and the quality. To be honest. Yeah, yeah. I want to I want to ask you something as uh, a fellow writer because. My my background in music was like pretty limited. Like I I had like dicked around for years on the guitar, but I, I wasn't really good. You know, I picked it up every now and then. I tried to jam as much as possible. And I started Monster Riff more as just like an, an SEO project, just to kind of work on some stuff outside of work. And gradually people started asking for reviews and I'd never really done any before. And that was weird for me because I was like, I don't, I don't know anything about music. Like, you don't want me to review your stuff. And then they started, kept asking for it. And I was like, okay, well, let's, let's see how it goes. 
And suddenly you just like get into the habit of it and you kind of get better and you develop a process and then it's just kind of like routine. And now it's like, I'm, a, I'm just a guy that reviews music. Um, what I didn't hear so much from your background was like, hey, like I, I was like playing guitar when I was like six or I've been playing piano forever. Like what what is your background in like actually performance and like music theory and uh, how, do, how do you apply that um, you know, in, in your writing today? Well, I'm a horrible guitar player and a, and a damn ugly singer, but I do both anyway. I have my first little band where we did covers of Life of Agony and stuff. It was probably around when I was 14 or 16 or something. After that, I was involved with a few projects before turning it all down a bit. And then back in 2000 or 2001, again, around that era, um, buddies of mine had a band called uh, Ventilators, without the in front, Ventilators. Mm -hmm. And they had just released their first album, um, self-titled. And then the, the vocalist uh, got incarcerated for uh, attempted manslaughter. Um, that sounds horrible, but he just drove his motorcycle into a shop somewhere while the owner was near the <laughs> near the door. So you get busted for uh, for that kind of stuff. And they thought of me to to help out with the vocal duties, uh, which I then did. After after he returned from uh, his jail time, he went back with them, even though they had broken up again because while well, people age got families, children, and moved mm -hmm. to different cities. But then they did a sort of reunion tour, and I jumped in a bit. And after that, uh, it all dissolved again. And with the drummer of the, the ventilators, uh, I started sort of hobbying in a, in a little uh, shack at, a, at a, his uncle's place together with his brother. All very freak-out stuff. Um, never went anywhere. And then the drummer, uh, I did a few other stuff, and then the drummer and uh, a different bass player and a different guitarist started a band and asked me again uh, together with the the brother of uh, the guitar player so we were over five of us and those five turned into three of fee which is doing great right now they kicked me out because i drank all their beer and, and <laughs> uh, mostly because uh, they went a different route with the vocals uh, my vocal ability has never been that well, but um, I like doing it or love doing it. Mm. Uh, and I have uh, wild ideas about where I should go with my voice and where I should go with my lyrics, which sometimes works and sometimes does not, but I will keep doing it anyway. I don't know if you know Fee. They released their uh, first EP in 2019, I think, which still has one song with uh, my lyrics on it. Mm. Um, and their uh, full album Glowing Dawn was released uh, when COVID hit so they could never tour on it which they uh, well sort of started doing now yeah and that's about it so yeah you do have you I mean you have you might not think too highly of yourself as a musician or a singer but you, you do have a pretty robust background yeah, yeah, well, robust. I know my way around the, around the strings and around the microphone, but uh, not everybody will like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all you need, and that's all that's all it takes. As long as you're having a good time, that's all that really matters. Yeah, exactly. So, what in in we're recording this in uh, July of 2022? What today is a good fit? 
for Stoner Hive, for people that are listening to this and they're thinking about maybe submitting some music, like what what is a good criteria for submitting to Stoner Hive? Well, as I just mentioned uh, <clears throat> a little bit earlier, uh, I like to review the very small bands that really send send a personal email. Um, I sort of have a a love or a, an adoration for those bands that are really just starting out. But on the other hand, Stone Hive has always been uh, way more of a hodgepodge than uh, many other blogs. So we sort of write about everything that tickles our fancy. But I must confess that the stoner, the the psychedelic, and the, the prog rock of late has been uh, most fulfilling for myself personally. So uh, even though I still do write about doom, heavy black doom, or uh, sludge metal, um, my current condition loves uh, the stone rock and the psychedelic rock more. Mm. I mean, if I look back at the, the, the last two last two years it's been king buffalo and all them witches and that sort of bands that has uh, wowed me the most Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, i don't know if you've seen the those two acts live yet but they're phenomenal live i would say even better than they are on on record too seen all them witches a while back and i was supposed to see them in august again but they unfortunately had to cancel their european tour or Mm -hmm. dates on the tour and King Buffalo, I've seen them once on uh, Desert Fest uh, last year when Corona was still uh, a, a thing. It was one festival that uh, just happened, on a one-day festival, and King Buffalo played there, so I ran to Belgium to see King Buffalo. And together with the Duel, it was the only proper gig in the main the main hall that, that had its sound quality in, in, mm. in working edition, because... The main hall had definite problems with the with the quality and sound, unfortunately. Uh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, what's What's funny about that is I think that um, King Buffalo is like just one of the most consistent bands that I've seen live, and I I've like the first time I saw them perform was in just like a bar out here in right. Pittsburgh. Like they were just shoved into the corner of the bar, but they're they're even in that space, which was designed architecturally to get drunk in and not to listen music listen to music within they sounded phenomenal and i think I just, they just do such a great job honing in their sound uh for each venue that they go to i would like to think so yeah i've seen only seen them once but uh yeah it was that was already uh, art inspiring as are their albums it's uh, mm-hmm. it's amazing uh, i came in with uh, that planet properly came in uh, before i, I heard uh, what was it longing for the mountain of course mm-hmm. but um after that planet i fell in love with all they did and well the final two records are just well stunning mm-hmm. so um not to not to put you on the spot here but uh you said lately you know you've been in like the prog psychedelic stoner space um who's kind of who do you feel like you've listened to recently that you think is like flying under the radar that that more people should know about or should maybe go pick up uh, well, in my opinion, um, uh, of course, the same river was featured on the Doom chart, but the same river is is, is a stunning, uh, stunning album, a stunning band. They are so much in league uh, with the sound of All Them Witches that, uh, mm. well, it's, it would be a perfect fit for uh, the Krakenbach Festival where All Them Witches should have played to <laughs> to get the to get the, them in. 
at the same river like i said uh i've just been listening to the gray goo again with the 1934 yeah. uh, 43 uh, album that was uh, such a such a neat album i indeed. don't know if i've heard anything like that uh, no exactly uh, it, it, it it moves way more into beef heart and zappa ter- territory than mm-hmm. that we were used to with this kind of music and yeah uh, it works great and uh, it, it's still a kind of weird album but it's still well freak out psychedelic stuff so yeah i i'm definitely loving it yeah uh, sorry I, I cut you off there keep going you're you're on a roll <laughs> uh, well the number one of course of the doom charts sergeant thunderhoof has been uh yeah on repeat here the vinyl came in when i was uh, on holiday so i've been spinning the vinyl now as well and it's a it's a magnificent album in my opinion especially those first three songs in my mm-hmm. opinion, once again, they they have such emotional depth and charge that you can just feel the build up. And on that second album of the second track, uh, what's it called, "The Devil's Daughter"? At least I can feel the when when the the chorus comes back for the last time. You can just feel how the the energy in the crowd in the, in the live stage, the live crowd will go berserk and they will all go dancing and jumping when that comes <laughs> back. I'm sure of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we could do like a full episode on, on this Sceptered Veil. I, I agree with you 100%, especially on those first three tracks. When I when I did my review for Monster Riff, I even made a point of saying that like, it took me forever to review that record specifically because I couldn't get through, I couldn't I couldn't get to the second half because I kept right. listening to the first half because you're right, it, it's so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say I totally agree with you on that. Like criminally underrated band i was really happy to see them uh land at the top of the doom charts because i thought they deserved it absolutely yeah definitely yeah um and to to dig a little deeper in into that gray goo album that you talked about like to me um that that sounded like uh i don't know like like ween and like Oysterhead met and like wanted to play stoner rock together it was it was a really really unique uh approach I guess to the scene. Definitely, um, I immediately fell in love when, when the first time I, I listened to the, the opening track, uh, "Bicycle Days." The, the moment it, it, it transferred into that ska-like uh, mm-hmm. uh, rhythm, I just thought, "Well, this is this is so thick and fully produced that that you can't help but feel and fall in love with the the laid-back vibe of it and." And then when it starts going into the freakout territory, you just think, "Wow, these guys are are not limited to anything. They they try and will try and do anything. <laughs> there are no rules. Uh, there are no rules. It's um, the one and only rule. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I do want to talk about uh, Doom Charts uh, in a moment since we're here. Uh, before we get there, I want to ask a, a selfish question because uh, this is something I've been trying to work out on my end. Is when when Giannis initially approached me about doing joining the doom charts i was like that sounds cool tell me more and he was like well you know um you know all you really have to do every month is like submit your like 20 favorite records and i was like i don't listen to that many records i try to keep up as well as i can that's a lot and he was like don't worry about it like we'll, we'll send you all the stuff that you need to listen to and like there's a lot of music that comes in through the doom charts and like every Saturday I, I start the day just kind of like going through everything I miss and trying to listen through everything. There's a lot of music out there and um, 
for you, I mean, I, I imagine you probably have some sort of process down because you've been part of the Doom Charts forever. Um, how do you stay on top of music? What's your process look like for just digesting everything and taking it all in? Well, uh, to be honest, I have a few uh, PR companies and record companies that I know that when they send something over, I immediately jump on it. It's like um, if Ripple does something or mm -hmm. having Sea Sounds or uh, uh, Majestic Mountain or uh, Purple Sage PR, they do it in such a such a beautiful way that I know I have to immediately get down to listening to this. The same goes for what I already mentioned, the, the, the very small bands that send a personal message. I immediately get on top of those as well. I usually in that uh, listen to the first two, three tracks and well, and write a few lines about it. If I like it, I keep listening, of course. And if I'm not, I'm not immediately hooked, uh, I can sometimes put it away and forget going back to it. But mm -hmm. I usually always go back to the albums. I've missed the one or two in the past. Uh, for instance, Hissing and Blues by Graveyard can still can still <laughs> can still not fathom how I can could have passed over that one. Yeah, I usually listen to a little bit and then come back if I like it or keep listening. Um, I must say that there are a few PR wires that come in that that sort of do things better. Like Purple Sage PR, they do it in a certain yeah. way that immediately grabs your attention and puts everything in the right order of what mm -hmm. you need to know. And then yeah. there are those that don't do that as well. And you sort of have to look at the long immediately the long title in the email and think whoa 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 what what's this oh it's just yeah. a single oh it's a full album oh and then i sort of skip the email so there are still a few albums that will pass by unnoticed but uh, i do try to listen to everything that's that's reassuring because Right now, I just have like an enormous Google Doc of just like all of the links that have come in. And I kind of do the same thing where I'll listen to like a few songs. I'll, I'll have a few notes and then I make a note for myself. I was like, make sure you listen to this before, you know, you make a submission later in the month, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think I think for, for bands that are listening, you, you've brought up a good point about what a good email outreach looks like or what a good press release looks like. Right. Like be succinct, uh, but be descriptive and yeah. be clear about what you're offering and what you have. Uh, Cause you're right, like I think Purple Sage does a really good job, but I also have seen like record labels that are a little bit smaller, maybe still trying to figure themselves out and they'll like, they'll just bury the, the content of the email in like images and like to the point where like the email won't load properly. And then it's just like, I don't know what you, like you said, like, I don't know what you sent me. I don't yeah, know what yeah. this is. So I don't, I can't even do anything with it. Yeah. Yeah, um, for me, the worst thing is long uh, titles in the email. Uh, don't do that. Just uh, send a proper email with a simple uh, debut album by or uh, and then the album title and the band title. And that's about it. If you just release a single first single of debut album by uh, et cetera, et cetera. But not don't go all berserk in your album and your uh, in your email titles. Uh, always. Make sure you've got the proper links down for all your uh, <laughs> media outlets, as well as, of course, the, the MP3s or the WAV files you're sending, the uh, WAV files, because uh, you do get a lot of emails. And if you download all of them through Google Drive to your hard disk 
and they're not properly labeled, you will lose track of one or two albums that you think, well, what what, what was this supposed to be? And you just yeah, see right. the song titles and you think, oh man, now I have to go Google for the song titles, which album this might be. And it happens more often than not. Right, right. Yeah, I always tell bands, like, the more organized you can be, the more beneficial it's going to end up being for the people who, like, actually want to cover you. So now now that we're here, let's let's talk about the history of uh, the Doom Charts. We, we talked about this a little bit before the show. Um, how did how did the, the Doom Charts come into fruition? Because you weren't you weren't quite there day one, but you were there when it kind of went, let's call it mainstream. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, I was there for uh, day one, but um, in a different outlet because uh, Lucas uh, founded the Doom Charts. He, he started with uh, Stoner Hive because he liked the Stoner Hive countdown at the end of the year. He then suggested, let's do that monthly. And I said, well, no, because it takes a lot of work. And he said, uh, okay, then I'll start my own blog. And he started the Paranoid Schizophrenic where he did the, the ultimate doom charts or the super doom charts, not sure what it was called, every month. He asked my opinion, but he mostly just did it all by himself. And then in 2014, he said, well, uh, I've been doing it now for two years on my own. Um, I'm going to get everybody involved that I know in the scene and, and make it something proper to get uh, votes from across the globe to have it more merit and not just be my opinion. Uh, and I said, great. Uh, let's do that. I'll help out. Uh, let me know what to do. Um, he founded the, the Doom Chart contributor, Contributors Group on Facebook, got uh, Bucky Brown involved, uh, the captain, Captain Beyond, of course, uh, uh, Rod Reinhardt, uh, many more. Uh, Fraser Jones was there in, in the beginning, Steve Howe, uh, well, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, many, many. And then um, it started from there. And as time progressed, some left, a lot came. And uh, it's now a group of um, 80-ish people with uh, about 40 to 50 very active. And um, yeah, that's how it started. And I think the first published Doom chart was in February or March 2015. And what do you think, I mean, from your perspective, have you seen any trends in bands that kind of make it to the top of the Doom charts? Like, do you have any perspective on on what it takes to kind of reach number three, number two, number one? Um, there is always, it seems that the, most of the time there is a psychedelic or prog touch to to the albums uh, i've not seen that many extreme doom or extreme death or extreme black kind of albums make it um there have been a few that got nearly to number one i think but um in the early years it was even possible for bands to make it two times in a row like uh, mm-hmm. elder did a couple of times even but nowadays, so much great music is released. There are so many different uh, voters from across the globe that vote for it. That um, well, it, it's impossible to make it two times in a row. Um, I do think that bands that have that psychedelic touch, uh, that meandering, um, the, the the hypnotizing. Uh, the atmospheric have more chances of uh, getting high up on the list than um, 
than pure doom, even though it's mm. called the Doom Charts. Right. How, how much of the, the that, that sort of like prog or psychedelic tendency going higher, how much of that tendency do you think is a result of um, the members and just the people that are on, on the Doom Charts or just like a result of, of those those genres maybe being a little bit more expressive in certain ways. I don't even know if that's fair to say, and that's a debate that we could have because I have feelings on that. But um, do you think that's more a result of, uh, wh- wh- why do you think that is? Let's, let's just simplify that. Why do you, why do you think that is? <laughs> well, uh, the po- both of the points you raised are uh, very valid uh, because uh, we of course have a group that votes, say 40 to 50 uh, people. And of those 40 to 50, there are a limited amount that listen to the really dark and the really black and the really heavy doom. Uh, most of them, uh, most of the voters for those albums also listen to the psychedelic stuff. So they will have, uh, of the 20 albums they send in, they will have 10 albums or 15 albums that are psychedelic and five that are really, really heavy black stuff. And then we have only five voters that mostly send for send black metal and industrial doom kind of albums in. So it's definitely the amount of voters from the dark side that makes a difference. On the other hand, I think most people will be drawn easier to the, the, to the lighter side of the, of the heavy genre across the globe and on the doom charts as well. So I, I think it's fair is the wrong word, but um, it's logical that um, the really dark stuff uh, doesn't get that much that much votes because the well the, the the variety of the other stuff is just a big a bit higher right and their their listener base at least within the doom charts is a little bit smaller but yeah exactly um, and just just to clarify so no one yells at me while they're listening um so <laughs> like from my perspective if you have like a prog rock album and you put it up next to like a doom album that doom album exists within a certain space and there is a like a very specific type of sound that comes out through the drums and through the bass and through the guitars and a lot of that is heavy and aggressive and is going to have more of those darker uh, emotions it's going to be a lot of depression and anger and maybe anxiety um, and so like that's that's sort of like where that space is. Whereas if you have like a, a prog rock or a prog metal album, you have more space and sound to play with. And you can have those really heavy moments while still having very lighter moments too. So you have uh, you have more colors of the rainbow or more colors to choose from uh, as you're kind of creating your music. And so that's, that's all I mean by that. And I don't mean to say that like, doom isn't expressive or emotional because it very much is but like that uh sergeant thunderhoof album we were just talking about like there are some very high highs and there are some very low lows and that's one of the reasons that's such an impactful record is because you have that that roller coaster that you can go on exactly well put i couldn't have said it better also because english isn't my uh, first language <laughs> i apologize for not being able to do this in, in another language <laughs> <laughs> no it's exactly uh, what i what i also uh, would like to say about about that genre i mean there are certain funeral doom albums that i love that mm-hmm. i adore that are 
that should be uh, on the top 10 of uh, every everyone's list. But I know that that will not happen because Funeral Doom is, is such a squared off little niche yeah. that will not get that many votes. Simple. Yeah. Um, like I, I recently got into, um, I didn't even know it was a thing until a friend gave it to me, but like depressive suicidal black metal. I didn't, I didn't know that was a thing, but I am like now in like love with it. Um, and I'm, it's like one of those things, like I'm afraid to like go all the way off the deep end because like I did that with like stoner rock and now I have a stoner rock podcast and I don't know if, <laughs> if I want a, a depressive suicidal black metal. Yeah. Uh, you might not survive. You mean. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> All right, great. So uh, we talked about the Doom charts, kind of how you make it there. Um, let's let's kind of zoom out a little bit and talk about in general. Like you've you've written about a lot of bands, you've seen a lot of bands come into the space, come through the space. What do you think it takes for a band to let's say make it in in this scene? I don't I don't think anyone's like, hey, I'm going to start a stoner rock band and we're going to live off of it, but. Um, <laughs> A lot of people enter this space. They're like, "Hey, let's start a band. I, I want. We want to play shows. We want to sell out of our vinyl when we order it." Um, so, what do you think it takes for for a band to kind of quote unquote make it in in this scene? Yeah, that's 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 a difficult question. Um, I would love to say uh, quality, uh, daring, experimental, but perhaps it's more comes down to longevity. Do you have the do you have the time and energy to stick it out till you're big enough? Because it's it's all a niche market now, and the ones that sort of cross over or cross out of the niche are the ones that are able to make it. But you will have to uh, make it in your own niche first. So, I mean, the same river, and um, they started out now as a sort of um, heavy psychedelic, all the witches kind of band. It's their first album. They now have 800 likes or something on, on Facebook. Not that likes is everything, but it's just mm -hmm. uh, how many people will know you when you start out. It's a great record. It's a great band. And they should get more likes of this album and get more attention of this album and then bring it into a next album and a next album. But I'm sure that uh, that it will be difficult for every band starting out to make it that long, to keep going, mm -hmm. unless you sort of strike lucky a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and make some sort of hit that crosses over everything. I mean, if Red Fang hadn't video clipped prehistoric dogs, yeah. I'm sure they would never have become this big this quickly. So yeah, it's. I don't think you can put your finger on it. I, I was talking to someone recently about the importance of uh, perseverance in, in this yeah. space. And um, you and you and I might be a little biased as, as journalists, but um, I, I do think that, it, you know, I think, I think for, for some bands, they like, they go through the effort of, of putting out a record. They, they go through the recording process. They go through all of the nonsense of ordering their vinyl. It finally arrives and they're exhausted. And the, they, some of them don't take the steps afterwards to, or even beforehand to properly promote it. 
Mm-hmm. And when it's there in their hands, they just kind of are holding it and they're pissed off that no one's buying it, but they never went through those promotional steps to kind of raise awareness and get people excited or, or do like the red fang thing and do like the, the silly, like live action role play music video. Right. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, like, what's your stance on that? Like, I, I still think that even in our niche niche space, the, the power of the press is is still there and the power of those those reviews or um, if not like Stoner Hive, then like Mr. Doom or like Rob Hammer or something bigger with a little bit more exposure. No, exactly. It's uh, the longevity is perseverance and is uh, the amount of energy and time you can put into your band and getting the word out that you have an album or that you are a band and are willing to play live for, uh, say, a little bit of money but um i always think back about um uh, to a band from the 90s in the netherlands called the uh, divinity and uh the bass player plays in fee now i always thought they would have would have made it pretty big if they had just continued on but it costs time and it costs energy and it costs money and when they had to pull pull up the bank account again and say well we all need to put a thousand euros into the the band again and before we can go touring they said well we don't have that money anymore so let's call it quits right it's still even though you can reach out to everyone now very easily through the internet it still takes uh, a lot of time to do so to to answer emails to send out the emails and if you have to work besides your band um, to pay the rent and the rent is getting higher and higher and it takes more time and more money to actually be able to get your band out there in the world so perseverance energy time dedication it yeah it's it's all very much needed yeah well said so uh, as we as we wrap up here um, for people who want to learn more about you, maybe they want to, you know, send you their music or, or whatever, learn more about the Stoner Hive. Um, what's what's the best way to reach out? What's the best way to contact you? The Stoner Hive email is just uh, Stoner Stonerhive at uh, hotmail.com. I check that regularly, uh, like every day. Hitting me up on Facebook is usually the, not the best way to do. Well, if you hit me up on the, the, my personal page, you'll call out that's possible. But if you hit me up on the, the Stoner High Facebook, you get an automatic reply saying it's best to send me your email. Uh, send it to me to my email because I then I can keep count and put it all in the right kind of folder to to digest. So yeah, that's 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 the easiest way. If you ask for my address or uh, something like that on the on the email, it will all work out. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for for hanging out today. Yeah, you as well, man. Uh, I've uh, I just read your uh, show review on Consequence. Uh, well oh, done. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I was I was tickled when they reached out and asked me to do that. Uh, uh, that was, I I haven't I hadn't like written for like you know a bigger publication like that before, so that was a nice little treat. Definitely, definitely. And, and, you know, free tickets to Roger Waters is never a bad deal. <laughs> it's never a bad deal, right? <laughs> <laughs> so ask me, a, let me ask you a return question. When did you actually start with the Monster Riff? I started Monster Riff in uh, September of 2019, something yeah. something like that, like late late September. The, I had like sort of like a soft launch and then I had like a more real launch. I had a lot of issues getting... 
the logo done. And because I didn't have like a proper logo, I, I kind of held off from like doing anything on like social media. And it was really just kind of like organic through, through Google. Uh, and then once I had any sort of branding done and it, it took like maybe like a full year, right. uh, cause I kept getting kind of artists would come they would say they'd do it and then they wouldn't. And then I, okay, let's start over. Uh, it was probably like a full year. So like, I think it got a lot more serious in late 2020, I would say. Yeah, the site looks cool, so uh, well done. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Well, thanks so much for, for being on the show, and I will catch up with you soon.